Hey everybody, Zach here. Welcome to the show. All right, we've got an extra special podcast episode for you this week. And this extra special podcast episode is actually the pilot episode of a brand new podcast that is joining the Enrollify Podcast Network. And that new show is called The Application, and it's hosted by my friend Corinne Myers. If you don't know Corinne already, you should. You should follow her on Twitter and LinkedIn immediately. She's one of the brightest minds in higher ed marketing. And I wanted to give you all three reasons why you should subscribe to this brand new Enrollify Podcast uh, show. First and foremost, Corinne is a no-fluff kind of person. So you can expect the content that she delivers on the application to be concise, thought-provoking, and actionable. Number two, some people are really great at generating ideas and others are really great at executing them. But Corinne is one of the few people that's really remarkable at both. And you'll be able to hear this throughout the content that she delivers on the application. And last but certainly not least, she's bringing a number of incredible leaders, incredible thinkers in the higher ed marketing community onto her show, including Jenny Petty, who is the CMO at University of Montana. And Jenny Petty's episode is the pilot episode for the application. And we are dropping that episode right now here after I finish talking. And the goal here is to really introduce you to the show, give you a feel for uh, for Corinne, for her interview style, for her thought leadership, et cetera. And then what we hope you'll do is we hope that you'll love the show, you'll love uh, Corinne, you'll love uh, Jenny's insights, that you'll go, you'll scroll down to the show notes, and you'll click on over to the application and go subscribe to that show wherever you get your podcast. So if you're on Apple Podcasts right now, you can scroll down to the show notes, click on Uh, the application. It'll take you to the application on Apple Podcasts, and then you can go ahead and subscribe there and leave a review. All right, without further ado, welcome to episode one of the application. Please let us know what you think. Comment on this. Find us on social media. Let us know. You can also just drop me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org, and let me know what you think of this brand new show. Hey, y'all, and welcome to The Application, a podcast nestled nicely in the Enrollify Podcast Network. This is your guide, Corinne Myers, and I am so excited to share my love of high-grade Marcoms, student experience, and campus squirrels. My friends at RaRa were awesome enough to sponsor all of the insights and ideas I get to share with you over the course of the application's episodes. So let's get into it. Okay, so first, your name, your title, your institution, and then get into your day-to-day. I'm Jenny Petty. I'm the Vice President and Chief Marketing Communications Officer at the University of Montana. And I would say my day-to-day, like most marketing professionals, is not predictable. We're working on a lot of big strategy moves right now, as well as the day-to-day work that all institutions have to keep going. I would say in this role, a lot of my focus is on people and leading and making sure people have what they need as well as managing up to the cabinet on campus and making sure that the work we're doing is represented as a strategic partner and positioning the department in that way. Awesome. And you are hiring or have hired actually for a new position. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we recently hired um, someone who's going to come on board as a brand experience manager. And the genesis of that position when I came on board at the University of Montana, I was kind of twofold. It was one, how do, how do we do a better job of aligning the brand and the brand pillars with the campus vibrancy and the student experience? And two, it was preparing for the next, what's on the horizon for a lot of us in higher ed marketing, which is this 
this move from being more tactical focused to kind of this holistic view of the student experience and how we can use the brand to help drive belonging on our campuses. So we hired this, this role. I'm lucky that this person is coming from um, a background in marketing, but also in student affairs. And I think that combo is, is going to be really valuable to the department. This person will be working as kind of a liaison between our department and other departments on campus. And I describe it like this. She won't be planning events per se, but her job will be to how, how do we elevate events or experiences on campus so that the brand pillars are woven into that design and how do we take what you know is a standard event and elevate it so it's something memorable and a, a powerful moment for people on campus it's amazing so what do you imagine how do events change ideally with this position being the liaison you know i think they become more intentional so I think, you know, when we think about admissions or enrollment events, we all tend to kind of follow the same pattern. There's a formula almost for what we know is successful. And I think we have to start adjusting to Gen Z and what Gen Z's um, Gen X parents expect out of events or out of institutions. What we know from research is that Gen X is typically really, un they don't trust institutions. And so it changes the way we speak to them about this place. It changes the way that we, we market to them. How do we help them connect with us and each other? I think for Gen Z, they are so super passionate and their values are different than millennials or um, younger millennials even. They're just a different generation. And so I think this position is, is really about you know, making sure that we are aligning the consumer expectations with what we can deliver as a brand and eventually mapping the student journey and finding those spots where there might be friction and figuring out how we solve for that friction or finding those moments that can be really powerful and elevating them in a student journey. You know, you think about we on this campus, we have a strong percentage of first generation students. And so you think about even that end of that first semester, what a mark in time that is for those students. They're coming here with with more than just trying to get an education, right? A lot of the time they're fighting against, you know, maybe family didn't want them to leave home and go to school. Maybe their family doesn't value higher ed the same way um, that they do. So there's a lot that this position is gonna take on and I'm lucky in that the president here is really supportive and understands that a good portion of it is experimental. That's awesome. And you me you mentioned expectations and I love the the human experience kind of flow. It's, you know, my expectations of an experience, which is essentially all things are just experiences, right? Institutions are just made up of, of serious experiences. And so my expectations of experience and then how I perceive that experience based on those expectations then forms attitudes and then future behaviors of what I'm doing, right? And so you mentioned expectations and it's interesting to me that two students, seemingly the same kind of students, can experience an event, but come away with different perceptions based on those expectations. And I'm wondering if you're seeing what I'm seeing in higher ed in this shift, this starting to talk about putting the student experience at the center of everything. And it's not a new concept by any means. That's not, you know, student experience has been talked about forever, but it feels like suddenly it's having its moment where we're realizing that if you were to put the student at the center, 
all things kind of fall into place better and and more effectively. Are you seeing that trend? Yeah, and I think it also, so seeing that trend, but I think it's also a a reaction to what we're seeing in changes in in our industry as a whole. I think it is in, li- in alignment with that trend of placing student experience. I think marketing communications in higher ed becoming consumer centric is a long time coming. And I think it's been a place on a lot of campuses that, that people have struggled with. But I also think for those of us who are looking to what the next five or 10 years are like, moving towards a more experiential model and focusing more on consumer needs and wants and aligning with those isn't a lot of reaction to the fact that we've built this house of cards on rented land in terms of like the way we've used paid social, Google, Apple, and we've got to change with that. And we've got to be ahead of it. Like we cannot wait until the house of cards with Facebook falls completely. So we've had these easy wins. Like I remember the days when you could build a community on Facebook with tens of thousands of followers for no money at all. And we've built a lot around that and we've got to prepare for like what happens when that goes away are we aligning our content strategy in an inbound model to attract people and educate them and give them the information that they want rather than what i think we've come too reliant on some of these paid social avenues i i love that analogy uh, house of cards on rented land is literally social media <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so much of our brand equity now is tied up in that. And what we know from like the Edelman report that came out this year, right, is that consumers are trusting owned spaces more than they're trusting media outlets. And I think we are missing a huge opportunity to build our own owned, you know, we have our websites, but who's using those as much as we're using social to build community? I think we've got a huge thing on the horizon of needing to align our brands and using our own spaces to our advantage. Right. And I think it's interesting to look at student experience and how it can be a, a differentiator between programs, right? So Gen Z, I think, is is looking at higher ed and saying, I can choose 30 different programs. They all align. Like, what's the difference between all of them? And if you don't have a difference, you're not going to be picked, right? And so this idea of experience and understanding expectations. I think it's like upwards of like 85% of consumers, which are students, students are consumers, right? So you're, you mentioned marketing outside of higher ed. These individuals are not just living in higher ed, right? They're consuming content and having experiences with brands who are answering with them within two hours of an inquiry. Immediately, even via Twitter, they are having Amazon delivered to them within 24 hours of ordering things. They've got websites who are personalized and know what they're looking for. And all of these things create expectations of all other experiences they have with organizations. And as higher ed looks to these other things that are happening outside of higher ed, to me, it's almost scary to think that you know, as a, you know, as a higher ed marketer, we know that everyone's like 10 years behind, right? We're all kind of 10 years behind things. And so this catch up of like, how do we, how do we become experiences that align with expectations to their regular consumer habits, Um, especially with Gen Z who has never known a world without a mobile phone in their pocket? Like, are you seeing institutions or obviously you're looking to the future and looking at these experiential 
opportunities, but are you seeing ways that higher ed can catch up to these expectations with consumer behaviors? Yeah, I think, you know, as you were saying that in my head, all I was saying to myself was like, preach, girl, preach. Like (laughs) these expectations that are setting, right? Like even when you think about the way you use Netflix and how Netflix is delivering up personalized content based on, you know, what you've done in the past or what they think you will like. I think personalization is definitely something that higher ed has to start thinking about. It's no longer about just getting caught up in the last 10 years. It's about leapfrogging to what is right now. And I think personalization and being really intentional about UX and experience. You know, when we think about the student experience, right, we started talking about events like on-campus, in-person events, but we have to think about it as a whole ecosystem of, you know, it's it's that first touch where they might be visiting the website or they might be seeing, you know, an ad or something like that. That all is part of the experiential journey. Even when they get materials in the mail for prospective students, like I'm a big believer that anything we send in the mail should also be a sensory experience because it's part of how do you differentiate and how do you create that memory and muscle memory of like, oh, when I see the University of Montana, I feel these emotions. So that I think thinking about it as an ecosystem instead of these one off pieces, right? Like I think the Simpson Scarborough CMO report just came out and it talks about you know, how many institutions still have the website sitting under IT. There's a disconnect even on our campuses of how we are structured to design for the student experience, right? Like how many campuses have campus life under student affairs and there's no marketing touch point or marketing influence. Like we're missing a huge chunk of that ecosystem just in our structures. So interesting and like kind of riffing off of like the Google micro moments where have, there are micro experiences that kind of culminate to this overall experience. And like we said earlier, those experiences really do change the way a student perceives how your institution operates. So like if I have a bad experience on your website, my expectation was to find how much this, this program costs. I didn't find it and now I'm upset me going back to your website is very, it's much less likely now. And I'm also expecting not to find what I want. So there's a cycle of like that first touch and them looking for information. And, and suddenly we've got, you know, I've, I've, I've waded through higher ed websites after higher ed websites. And it's like, you know, it's got three nabs and you're not even sure why. And it's like, donors and alumni and that's and then like academics and like it's uses like internal language you're like what is I don't even know what's going on and I'm in higher ed like I (laughs) so it's like this and then you find yourself on a page it's a pdf about tenure promotion and you're like how did I get here and why is this on this website and yeah absolutely it's and site search like search is still a number one way for gen z every generation to find what they're looking for and these results and it's just a very interesting way to approach websites. But like you said, it's often under the IT department and they are very smart about IT, not as smart about UX. And so this shift again, and we talk about silos all the time, right? Silos, silos, silos. But like you said, creating experiences that are memorable and will result in applications and retention and all these things require cross-communication. And so I guess, are you seeing technology or innovative ways to take those silos, work within them, because you can't, obviously not going to change overnight, but also be able to cross-pollinate data and insights and information to better 
enhance those, those experiences for students. Are you seeing anything like that? You know, I think what I'm seeing at the University of Montana is this this desire and this leadership style that trickles down that is so focused on collaboration and relationship building. And so I can't speak, I know there are so many challenges at other institutions, but I can say what I have found here that is so refreshing is that it is based on, you know, the website when I started did sit under IT. And we've had some really raw, honest conversations about like, the limitations of that. And I have found in the CIO a partner, not you know somebody who's in opposition to me. Like everybody's moving in the same direction. And I know there are institutions where that's like darn near impossible. And it's a lot of patience. You know, I think what I hear from a lot of CMOs and what I'm seeing in a lot of thought leadership pieces is this unhealthy level of resentment building up about the fact that so many marketing communication shops on campuses are still being used as a print shop rather than a strategic partner. And you know, I've, I've done my fair share of complaining about that. But what I wanna say to folks is like, at this point in time, as a CMO in higher ed, that's part of the job is changing and influencing and persuading our campus partners to see the value of marketing. And that can be exhausting, but I feel like there is some freedom when you surrender to the fact that it's part of the job right now and that we are paving the way for the next generation of CMOs in higher ed. It makes it feel more like something you're working on as part of a legacy for the industry rather than something that you're pissed off about all the time. Right, right. I think there's definitely something to that. I think a lot of the work as, as I worked in central comms, there was a lot of like, you were the brand police and like, you know, we don't want to work with you and that kind of stuff. And that was, some of it was actually warranted. Some of it was brand policing and there were things that the, the central comms office did that was not collaborative. It was very like, you know, top down, you can't use the logo that way, which is, you know, I, I think... In, in higher ed especially, the people I've met in higher ed are so genuine. They want to do their best. They're trying their best with the resources they have. And honestly, it's almost just inviting a conversation and offering help, no strings attached kind of stuff that really got me into rooms where it was, that's what changed the di dialogue and got us to collaborate. My, my favorite part about working at University of Michigan, unfortunately, was during COVID because we were forced to work together across campus in ways we had never done before, quickly, collaboratively, and without any sort of like resentment. So we had to have time for resentment. Things were happening too fast. And so I got to work with the student life department, who I had never worked with before in my entire life at the University of Michigan in the central comms office, which is bizarre to me, but had the opportunity to do that. And the relationships and the processes and things we built together we're amazing. And I, I think that it's almost that forcing together of teams was good for us. Unfortunate circumstances, obviously. But I guess, are you, so you mentioned you brought the, or you partnered with IT. Have you brought the website or maybe parts of the website strategy underneath you? Yeah. So one of the first things I did was standing up a digital marketing team because we didn't have that. And part of what attracted me to the opportunity at the University of Montana was that I get to build a team 
not from scratch. There was a great team that I inherited that was really focused very heavily on comms. But yeah, so we stood up a digital marketing team. The mechanics of the web still do live in IT, but we're going through a strategic enrollment planning process right now. And one of the things that we're working towards is a larger website governance strategy. And so part of that strategy is continuing to build out the digital marketing team on our side to focus on UX and content and the website as a marketing tool rather than you know what it becomes on a lot of college campuses a repository of information that is not structured in any meaningful way and has a thousand cms users like it's just one of those things that but so we are and the it department has been completely and totally supportive of that that's awesome i think it's it's great to hear about supportive i mean again i think people realize their shortcomings especially when faced with this kind of revolution of cx and ux and all these acronyms we use internally. And I think it's great to see them be like, yeah, let's let's talk about this because I'm not an expert. I'm an expert in this area, which we definitely need, but I also need your expertise. And when it comes together, I think it's that's the magic. And it doesn't have to necessarily mean we completely blow up the silos. It just means we're kind of punching holes and holding hands almost through the silos. <laughs> you know, and doing our best. Exactly. <laughs> totally. I mean, I love punching holes through things, so that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I would say the other thing is, like, I just finished reading Radical Candor for the first time. I feel like I'm, like, decades behind reading that. that. But I do think, yeah, I mean, I do think there is there is this element of being radically candid with your partners on campus, right? Like we can't behind the doors complain about the fact that we're not being positioned or thought of as a strategic partner. If we're not in the rooms explaining why we're a strategic partner and showing the results of what we can do and framing things like there's so much education that has to happen with our partners. And I have found when you take that time and sometimes it's exhausting and sometimes people are like, no, I just want a damn postcard. And you're like, (laughs) Okay. But when you take that time and you find, I think fit, it matters, right? Like I, part the other reason why I was attracted to this place is because the president here is phenomenal. He's a non-traditional president. And I knew that I was going to have the support. I've never worked with a president who understands brand promise before. And he talks about it all the time. So I think we also have to demand more out of our institutions as marketers. And so if there's somebody who's an aspirational CMO, my advice is don't you dare go anywhere where it's not a cabinet level position. Like don't shoot yourself in the foot and show up, you know, where you're a couple layers buried beneath the cabinet. Like that, that's an indicator to you that you're not valued as a strategic partner. That's really good advice. This is my, I might've just like taken this off another (laughs) way, but I, this has been in my head for weeks. <laughs> this is that's great advice. That is like seriously, like it's almost like you like you know the the marketing CMOs who are basically like under development under development managers. Like you're like who who designed this? Yeah, and who's driving the strategy? Right? Like if you're under a development office, like that sends an, a message to you that your role as a marketer in this place is going to be very focused on fundraising and relationship. Like that's it. Right. And then you lose all the other pieces that we all know collaborate, like the collaboration that's needed to build a brand. Right. Let's talk about Rara, the generous sponsors of the application. They truly fit right into my obsession with experience management because they've built an app to ensure your students can discover, access, and connect with resources, programs, and generally all things happening on campus. Check them out at raralife.com. 
So back to this position that you've hired for, they're starting mid-March, it sounds like. Yes. So events liaison, I guess, like, what does success look like for this position? Like, you're looking back five years from now. What does that, what does it look like? Mm -hmm. What does success look like? That's such a great question. I think, you know, five years from now, if we could look back and we could say, that we charted the student journey and we showed what that ecosystem looks like and we found the friction points where we knew we were either losing enrollment or we were losing brand equity or there was reputation management spots that we were losing out on, I would be so pleased with this position. I also think the some indicators of success would be in things like the conversation around the brand. What's the organic conversation happening? What are, What is... What are people feeling when they interact with the University of Montana? I think those would be some major indicators of, and I guess my third one would be like, have we had a lot of fun doing this? Because what's more fun than brand experience? Not a lot. <laughs> like, there's room, there's like room for so much creativity in that space. So if we haven't had fun in five years, we have seriously messed up. Yes, yes. I think that makes you a marketing nerd, but that's okay. It's a given. <laughs> It's a given. <laughs> what is more fun than brand experience? <laughs> nothing, Corinne. Nothing. So my poor, my poor husband is like a tradesman, and he's just like, oh my god, stop talking. My, my husband's a project yeah. manager, like you know, like the lean, like very, like you know, like very type A, and he like, I think he probably has a heart attack every time I talk about like the chaos of everything in marketing. <laughs> totally. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so you also mentioned the House of Cards on borrowed and or rented land. What are you doing different to, differently, different to, to guard against the continued decline in organic reach and engagement, the potential loss of like Facebook in Europe, essentially, I guess. And there's like these like other like TikToks here now, like what are we doing? Like, how are you building something that's made of brick on owned land, I guess? Yeah. So I think in in my mind, what I'm trying to do here, right, is like we have a lot of foundational building to do just in general. And we're doing that. We're doing it really quickly. March 1st will be my first year at the University of Montana. And when I reflect back, first of all, I'm validated in how exhausted I've been. But second, I'm, I'm blown away with what this team has gotten done in a year. So we've been building a lot of foundational work. But the second piece is like looking forward where I think we need to invest time is heavily in content strategy, is heavily in like how are we aligning our storytelling in a way that's meaningful for our audience and delivering them value? Because I think now more than ever, our content content is so it's such a crowded space on online. Like it's, and I think there's, you know, something to be said for putting out less but better content. So I think aligning the content strategy strategy with what's valuable to our audiences is one of the main pillars that we're building on. Um, The second is that we're working on a really exciting personalization project on web. So we are looking at, you know, our prospective student audiences. How do we build an experience for them at the top of the funnel that is special and feels like they're not being talked at from our brand, which I think a lot of higher ed brands do. You know, it's all about we are this, we are that, not about here you will, or we want people like you. And so we're working very closely carefully on you know what our prospective student journey feels and looks like and then the third I do think is this brand experience and brand strategy work you know it's it's 
I don't have all the answers to this yet. I'm lucky that I get to experiment with this role, but those are the areas that I see as the places that we need to be investing. And in some ways it takes me back to like early in my career, like I was an early adopter of HubSpot and I still to this day am so bought into the inbound methodology because I think it makes sense. And I think the inbound methodology was all about building on your own land. So I don't, you know, Corinne, what I think about it, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this too, but for me, it takes me back to thinking about, you know, blogging is like one of the oldest social medias out there. Like, I wonder if we're going to be kind of taking a look back at some of the tactics that worked for us before social media and finding ways that we modernize and elevate those older tactics. I, I agree. I think there is this interesting cyclical kind of pattern of what, so with convincing giver, we call it utility, right? So like overly helpful content that you create and push into the world just for help, just to be helpful in general to your audiences. And your audiences are like, wow, this is incredibly helpful. And it starts growing brand affinity, right? And they start reading content and they start consuming content, spending more time with your content because it's genuinely helpful to their lives. And so this is like financial aid 101, not like how to financial aid at my institution, just how to financial aid in general. I'm making this a verb. I'm not sure. And... <laughs> Like this super helpful content that is no strings attached and, but it creates this ecosystem of individuals who either convert or they use you, they, they evangelize your, your brand, right? They're, they're talking about your brand, advocating on your behalf, right? I don't use Sprout Social in my day to day, but I tell everybody how amazing Sprout Social is purely because of their blog content because I love it. It's so helpful. They've got data and reports and things like that. So I think there is something to this where higher ed has to look at not just the audience that they're talking to, but their affinity audiences, right? Who are the people who are influencing students and prospective students outside, right, of their peers and parents to directly ones, right? How can we create this system of helpful content that, again, you just mentioned inbound, right? That's, that's HubSpot's basically model, like you said, 10 years ago is make content, that's good, good content, not lots of content, good content <laughs> that will draw people in and eventually pull them through. And if they convert, great. But if they don't, they are still the, your people who are talking about you. So I think it's yeah. yeah, you still have you still have served those consumers, whether or not they ever actually become a customer of yours. Yeah, that's exactly it. So I think, you know, I feel the same way about HubSpot. I'm not a current HubSpot customer, but I was one of their early adopters. I started using them in 2008. And I think what they have built is a model, you know, back in the day, we, we used to use social to amplify our content. It wasn't the repository of our content. So, but I think, you know, social media is not going away, but the way that our audiences use it is changing. And so for instance, one thing I've seen is that we've, we've stood up Zimi here on campus to connect with our prospective students. And, it, you know, if, if people aren't familiar with Zimi, I like to describe it as like almost like a privatized social media network where students connect, you know, on a topic. So they are interested in the University of Montana. They've been admitted to the University of Montana. They're planning on attending the University of Montana. And so they connect in this very kind of targeted way. And I, and I think that appeases Gen Z in a lot of ways, including their concerns about privacy. So Zimi is kind of more of a closed community. I mean, again, like we're thinking back, 
in the day, like we used to have these communities, right? These chat rooms and things like that. It's almost a remodernization of that. But we've had tremendous success with our Zimi, our Zimi communities. And it's become one of the key indicators about the incoming class. You know, what do they care about? What are they interested in? We can even tie the data very, very closely to our projections of our incoming classes. And the interesting thing about Zimi is, you know, it was originally designed as for just prospective students. And then what Zimi was seeing was that students would, you know, share their Snapchat, whatever, and they would get share their Instagram, they'd get off of it. But with COVID, these cohorts continued because it was a place of connection for them to grow this community, you know, of students where they weren't having those on-campus opportunities. And so I think, you know, there might even be a potential thinking long-term for a lot of these universities and colleges is like, do we create our own privatized social experience? I think that's, I think that's really interesting. How do you build something on your, again, your own land that's not reliant on social media, especially social giants, I guess. You know, these Discord and other communities that are a little more, again, they're private. And you see the, you see agencies and marketers asking, should brands be in Discord student groups? And I think the question is, I don't know, maybe we, sh- maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should empower yeah. students to advocate on our behalf, but maybe like leave that kind of stuff alone. Well, and I think, you know, when we talk about the psychology of an owned space versus a space like Discord, you know, an owned space, it's all out on the table. Like you're coming to this owned space because you're going to interact with this brand. When we show up in places like Discord or, you know, even on, you know, the way brands tried to do Snapchat for a long time, like I think what happens is we just slowly drive these audiences to different channels. <laughs> like we, like we, we get there and they're like, mm, this is not great anymore. And they leave. And maybe we start, we stop that cycle by being just more upfront with like, if you want to connect with people like you who are also interested in this thing, here's the space for you. Right. The niche communities, which is definitely a growing trend that we're seeing more and more. I mentioned, so I, I wrote content about this recently, actually. And I mentioned how like, I'm in like a minimalist mom Facebook group, or I'm in like, you know, these like very like, I love fantasy romance novels with, you know, fairies and whatever the case may be. It's like these super small communities. It's the only reason I use Facebook because I have these super small communities that I can access and talk to because I don't want to like generally talk to like, you know, it's like these large audiences, you know, it's smallest viable audience kind of play here with communities and then content that can speak and be more broad. I think that to, to drive people to these communities where they can then become more niche and interactive and things like that. I think that's super interesting. Have you, are you seeing, so Zimi obviously, and I, I'm familiar with Zimi, and I think it's kind of rolling out in lots of institutions because of this kind of shift in paradigm of the need for privacy niche communities, again, that are digital, right? And so are you seeing other tech or trends where institutions are owning communities in this way off off of social media? Gosh, that's a great question. I mean, off the top of my head, I know there's all the big players are trying to do this, right? Like Zimi is independent, but every big player out there is trying to stand up certain things like this. I mean, there's also things like Campus ESP, which is targeted towards parents and communicating to parents. I think 
off the top of my head, I couldn't give you a list, but I do think it's a trend and I think it's an area that everyone is trying to figure out right now. It's interesting. I think we found a gap in the market. You and I. Yeah. Yeah. So don't publish this. (laughs) We're going to make millions. Owned community building capabilities, like a Slack and or a Discord, but like, you know, dot edu, yeah. like a subdomain genius. Let's do that. Right. Wait, like, like Facebook. Oh, wait. <laughs> wait. Less <laughs> a, a social network for just dot edus? Wait a second. <laughs> See, it's all cyclical. Dang it. No. It is. It's all cyclical. Well, we are now, really you know, we're Monday Night Quarterbacking. We won't make the mistakes Facebook did. That's right. That's we'll do right. it better. That's right. We're not, we're not Zuck. Right. You know, I do think, though, it is interesting when we think about the cyclical nature of things. I think this is a time for marketers to lean back into those baseline foundational skills that we are all taught that, you know, might feel a little old school right now. But, you know, things like copywriting, right? Like, there's no thing more powerful than, like, a, the, a really strong brand voice because it makes you feel something or it makes you think differently about something. So I think... There's foundational skills like, you know, copywriting or analysis or the psychology of buying and consumer behavior. Like there's all these things we should be leaning into and reminding ourselves that things are cyclical and that foundation allows us to build what's next because it that, that foundation doesn't go away. Like, you know, go read Ogilvy on advertising again. You know, probably most of us haven't read it since at, since college, but like, you know, pick up those classics and and refresh your mind on the work that we do. You know, that's interesting. You know, we mentioned micro experiences and student experiences that kind of culminate. And you and I have had like an active Twitter conversation about what was the university with the right, the copywriting and emails? Swarthmore, hands down. I have been a fan of Swarthmore for a couple of years now. I, I, and I feel bad for saying this. I'm sorry, Swarthmore, but I secret shopped you. <laughs> Um, so you can take my daughter out of your system. But I mean, they're just, it's its fun. It's quippy. It makes you think it's unexpected. And I think a lot of the time with differentiation in higher ed is that we lack the courage to be truly different and to try things. And we're so kind of, you know, a little bit buttoned up sometimes. I think there's a lot of kind of navel gazing in higher ed because the work that's happening on these campuses is so important. And but it's also it's also niche, right? Like it is it, it can be hard to kind of take your head up and be like, wow, you know, a very small amount of consumers are interested in this time, like this little bit of research that's happening on campus. That's super great and super important for the world, but like not necessarily a magnet for the masses. And what I think Swarthmore does that's so beautiful is that they respond to Gen Z in this really fun way and it's an invitation to connect with them like when you open their emails you feel like they are talking to you and you feel like all your next steps are always really outlined and they do it in this this fun way that's got a little bit of like a little attitude but it works and so I think I think more universities would benefit from being a little bit more courageous when it comes to differentiation. You know, it's interesting, this shift toward, you know, we're used to like the button up suit and tie kind of feel from higher ed. And even really in marketing, it feels like it's a little bit of suit and tie button up. But this this revolution of, you know, the 2010s influencer and the backlash against the filtered, overly curated kind of content that we're seeing 
that Gen Z is like, this, we got to stop doing this. Even millennials are like, stop, stop doing this. We have like real lives. Like, please stop giving me, you know, house porn because my house will never look like that. Give me the real thing. I've got two kids, two dogs, a cat, like, please, for the love of God. And it feels like higher ed has a has an opportunity here to stop creating these extravagant brand videos that are super overly produced and they've got talking heads and like, we don't want to see that. We don't want to see the president talk about your institution over and over and over again. I mean, obviously a couple of times, sure, but like over and over again in marketing materials, whereas we're seeing, you know, these, we're seeing TikTok take off for higher ed, especially we're seeing, you know, student created content, you know, perform way better than regular content and brand content. And we're seeing this across not even just higher ed, just in general, UGC and influencer and creator kind of um, revolution almost. And I'm wondering if the ex- student experiences and the emails we were just talking about, if it's if it's a kind of a like a we're kind of clutching brand in higher ed, if we kind of just let it go a little bit and give us permission to again, write those emails. It's like, oh my God, this was so delightful. Like the screaming into the void email that I ha- got from from the institution you were just talking about was amazing. It's like, oh my gosh, like who gave them permission to write this? And like, how do we get that permission across yeah. institutions? A hundred percent. And I think, you know, when we think about branding, right? Like brands are, I think a lot of time on campus, first of all, like even using the word brand is a pretty modern thing in higher ed. And I still, I still, you know, my first couple of weeks on campus got pushback about using the word brand because someone said to me like, oh, that just feels gross. And it's like, okay, well, we've got to, we've got to evolve the way we think about brand on campus. But, you know, I think a lot of the time we think about brand as ethereal thing that's just kind of floating around, but the brand is like a living organism that has to be maintained and taken care of. And we have to manage our brands the way we would manage an asset, same kind of model. And what it makes me think about is, you know, when we think about managing the brand as an asset, the brand has to be allowed and has to have air to evolve and move and change over time. And in higher ed, what I think is so fascinating is that so internally, I think people's identities are so closely aligned with brand that it makes it really hard to differentiate sometimes because people cling to what they've known because it's it's enrooted in them as a piece of their identity. Whereas, you know, when I was in the corporate world, you know, if we did a new brand video or we had a new hashtag, people at the company were like, oh, yes, this is about, you know, promoting sales or it's about this or that. Right. And, you know, you're always going to have when you're talking about branding, you're, you're not going to make everybody happy. Like I, I ascribe to the Seth Godin philosophy of, you know, your what is it called? Like your minimal, minimal viable audience. Like that's always going to be the case. But you've got to let the brand evolve and change over time and you have to help the brand serve the institution in a way that feels like it's full of energy and has joy and connects with people in a way that is rooted in heritage but also so focused on being aspirational at the same time i love that you gotta let your gotta let your brand breathe and change and nurture because like otherwise you're gonna stifle it like any sort of living creature that you think of you can't it doesn't, it's got to change. Yeah. It's got to adapt. It's, it's evolution, right? It, all of us, everything around us is doing that. You have to let the brand change because everything around it is changing. Consumer behaviors, expectations, all the, the, the generation, new generations coming in. 
especially in higher ed, it's so exciting to have new generations almost every year. And then it's not because it's hard. You have to adjust things and be like, all right, what's the latest? And, you know, I think that's, that's super important. Any final thoughts about student experience, the future of what you're doing or the, the position that you're launching? Any, any kind of final thoughts? I think, you know, back to what we were talking about with letting a brand breathe, we also have to make room for our teams to evolve and we have to help people find the skills that they need to keep evolving with what is demanded of us from consumers. And I think that means sometimes letting go of older tactics that, you know, might not serve the institution as much. And I think we have to, as much as is in our power align the work of our departments with the strategic goals of of our universities or colleges. And that means saying no and it means boundaries and that can be really uncomfortable. But I think we have to get more comfortable with drawing those boundaries so that we can focus our limited time, resources, and energy on the marketing events that will be the most meaningful to our to our institutional strategy. And I think student experience, like you've said, is at the core, for so long it's been at the core of everything we do, but not so much on the marketing side. So we've got to make that shift of being, and I think COVID helped us see that we are the hub on many campuses. Let's become the hub of the student experience as well. Let's do that. That's a wrap for this episode. Please rate and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. And remember, a better student experience is always the answer. 